Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Nathan Sheehan finishes up our worship series and talks about how we worship God. We look at John 4, verses 23-24, through 24, where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well and reminds her that worship is responding in spirit and in truth. Nathan talks about what this means in our own lives. We hope you enjoy this message. Clapping sounds good, guys. How are we feeling this morning? Awesome. So just in case you don't recognize me, which I really hope you do, because I am literally up here every week. But just in case, my name is Nathan, and I'm the next-gen worship leader here. So as you can tell from the bumper that just played, and you've heard some people mention it this morning, and if you've been here for the past month, we've been in this series on worship. Have you guys been enjoying that? Has it been good? Learning some new stuff? Great. So it's this idea that had been floating around in my head for a little bit, and it was really cool to see it come together and see some of our different worship leaders come in here and talk to you guys about the topic. So I really hope you guys have walked away with some new knowledge, some new stuff. So we're in our last week of it now, and I'm here to wrap it up. And as we get started, I invite you to get your Bibles out if you have one with you and turn it to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I would like to share a story with you. So as Hannah mentioned earlier, this is about the time where I start sharing a story about how the purchase of my new home is turning me into a project dad. And without fail, I'm back again with another project dad story. So before we bought, or before, excuse me, before Brentley and I got married, we knew that she would need a place to put her clothes. So this put us on a journey to do what I think every middle-class person at some point in their life is destined to do and that is take a trip to Ikea. Now, if you don't know what Ikea is, here's the basic idea. It's a big furniture store with one continuous snaking one-way aisle that just works its way through a giant warehouse. And you go through these different areas that have furniture set up, or you might see mock rooms. They might look kind of like this. So beside these rooms, you'll see it named like, check out this 300 square foot apartment. And They'll show you an incredibly small space that with their furniture, they have made somewhat usable. So as you can see, like the little couch or the dresser or the mirror or the pillows all have little tags hanging off of them. So if you see something like that you like, you don't pick it up and put it in your cart and move on like you would in a normal store. You just take a picture of it or write it down somewhere and then you move on. That's stage one. Stage two is a big Costco style warehouse and it looks kind of like this. So furniture is just everywhere in boxes that you can see, self-serve furniture area. That's kind of the whole idea. You go in, you find, like you search with your item code, you find it, you put it in your cart, you buy it, and then you leave. Now, that unfortunately is not the end of my story because IKEA furniture is really cheap. The reason it's cheap is because it's completely unassembled. That is your job. So has anybody in here ever dealt with an IKEA furniture piece, anything? Wow, that's a lot of you guys. I'm so sorry. It's terrible, and you know it is because you've dealt with it. So the main frustrator of putting together IKEA furniture is the manual. So the manual or instruction book, uh, it's about the size of a magazine. It's about that thick, depending on how many steps you have, how big your piece of furniture is. It is so, so confusing. It's so frustrating. Thank you, James. It has no words in it. It's just a glorified picture book. There's, there's nothing in there. 
It, no amount of early childhood reading can prepare you for what's inside this magazine. Like the very hungry caterpillar doesn't cut it. That's not, that's not going to help you here. All you get is a 2D picture of the 3D thing that you're putting together. On top of that, so like step one will have like a bunch of parts laying in a pile. And then step two, it'll be like sort of more put together. And then you get this hand. It looks like this. And what happens is it points out things that you're supposed to notice. So all of a sudden, all the parts will be like kind of assembled from step zero to one, and the hand just goes at what you're supposed to see. And you're just like, what? You did like three things. I don't know. It's really confusing. But there is one saving grace to the whole process. In the manual, every part is labeled. So beside a screw, you may see G736. And you're like, oh, that's so great. It's like a breath of fresh air. All I have to do, I may not understand this, but all I have to do is go to my pile of things from the box and find screw G. Nothing in the box is ever labeled, ever. It's labeled in the, in the booklet, but not in the box. All you have are these bags, these clear plastic bags of screws that all look the same. They're all about the same size. And they're like, oh, we'll give them the label, but we're not going to tell them what it is. So it's even more confusing. Like you're probably feeling a little bit of the frustration. Guys, I wanted to give up. I really did. I, I told Brentley at some point, I was like, I just want to throw it in the yard and be done with it. I don't even want to finish this. I was so overwhelmed. I was so confused. I did eventually finish it, but I, I stopped like four times. It took me like three days to put together this dresser, which is absurd. I was overwhelmed. There was so much information that I felt like I was responsible for that there was no way I could act. There was no way I could move in the now because I just felt responsible for so much. And maybe you guys can't identify with my dresser story, but maybe you can with something else. So maybe you felt that way in school the first time you saw the alphabet sneaking into math class, right, with this new word algebra, and you were like, get it out. I don't want it in there. Numbers were hard on their own. Or maybe you were taking a big test, and it covered so much material that you just had no way that you felt like you couldn't study for it. How am I ever going to know this much? Or maybe you were learning a new sport or playing a new game with your family, and there were so many rules that you were just like, I can't. How am I ever going to understand this? How can I ever act? Have you guys felt that way? Have you ever felt that tension of there's so much I'm responsible for that I don't feel like I can act right now? I'm just so overwhelmed. Guys, I think worship is the same way. The word worship involves so much. I mean, just think about it. We've been in a series on it for a month. The first week, Johnny came in, and he talked about how worship isn't just singing, and it's not just Sunday mornings, that it's a whole lifestyle. And then Hannah, the girl who was just singing right here, came up the next week and talked about corporate worship and personal worship. So there's this aspect of worship now that's for us by ourselves and for us together. Then the next week, Matt Rexford came in and talked about one specific aspect of worship, worshiping when it's hard. And he used this word lament. That's when he gave us the acrostic tea cat. Tea cat. Yeah, tea cat. That's just scratching the surface. It's a big topic. That's the question I want to talk about. That's the tension that I want to talk about this morning. It's such a big topic that maybe you feel overwhelmed by it. Maybe you're so overwhelmed by the amount of information that you've heard and the amount that you feel responsible for that you don't know how to act. So the question I want to talk about this morning is how do we worship God? 
How do we worship God? So earlier, I had you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. So in this passage, Jesus is having a conversation at a well with a Samaritan woman. It's a really beautiful story of salvation and redemption and mission, and it's the first time Jesus ever reveals himself for who he truly is. So if you have time, I'd really encourage you to go read it sometime this afternoon. And we're going to look at a little part of this passage in verses 23 and 24 to get some help with our question. So if you're in John 4, look with me at verses 23 and 24. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with us on the screen. And this is Jesus speaking. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Pack it up, right guys? Jesus answered our question. (laughs) Right there, spirit and truth. I am kidding, don't pack it up, don't leave. We're going to talk about it a little bit. So what I'd like to do is kind of condense this into one simple sentence that we can remember. So we're going to think about this one sentence together. How do we worship God? We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. Why don't we say that together? I'll ask the question, how do we worship? And we'll respond together with that sentence. How do we worship God? We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. Let's hear it one more time. We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time together this morning unpacking this statement. What does it mean to respond in spirit and truth? And we'll do that by going through the main three words in the phrase, respond, spirit, and truth. So what is a response? What is a response? What you got, Julian? Yeah, like maybe an answer back. Yes, I would say this of the three is probably the easiest to grasp right off knowing the word. So if I ask you a question, Julian, you would probably respond or answer me. If I were to throw a ball at your face, you would flinch, try to catch it, block it, or maybe you just let it hit hit you smack in the face. But either way, you would have a response to the ball, right? Or maybe if you're taking a test and you come across a really difficult question, it makes you think, or try to remember what you've learned, that's also a response. These are all responses. So why don't we look at the definition of response. A response is simply a reaction to something. A response is a reaction to something. Pretty easy, right? Just a simple definition. Guys, this is the heart of what worship is. Worship is response. Worship is responding. There are hundreds of times throughout Scripture, and we could talk about them all morning, where people see God or they experience Him or they see Him moving and working in their lives or He's done something for them or something happens that shows them the, the fullness of who He is, and they respond with something. So in our question, how do we worship God, how do we put that into our sentence? We worship God by reacting in spirit and in truth. We worship God by reacting in spirit and in truth. So when I was in second grade, that is when I moved to the Greenville area. I knew nobody. 
I had no friends. But over the course of the next couple of years after that, I got to know this one guy at my church named Hayden. So we developed a friendship, and we've now been best friends for about 15 years. And he's a really great guy, and right now he is deployed with the Air Force. So he serves as an Air Force mechanic. He works on their big machines and their cool stuff. And while I was in college, he was deployed to a place named Minot, North Dakota. So if you have not heard of Minot, North Dakota, you're doing just fine. Don't worry. From what he has told me, I've never been there. It's a terrible place. The only thing there is the Air Force Base. There is not a restaurant with, that's worth going to within an hour of driving. There are no notable sightseeing places. And worst of all, in the winter, with the wind chill, it regularly gets down to negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, there's a lot of snow and a lot of wind. I went on Google Images and grabbed this picture of the Air Force Base. I don't know any of these people, but... That is insane. That's like every winter for them. Um, a few fun facts about Minot. It's so cold in Minot in the winter that it is illegal to drive past a car on the side of the road without stopping to see if the driver and passengers are okay and offer help. It is so cold in Minot that you have to put a heated blanket over your car battery while you're away so that when you come back, your car will start because it's too cold for batteries to do their thing. That's, that's insane to me, it's a terrible place. But nonetheless, while I was in college, that's where Hayden was deployed. So I didn't get to see him a lot. He only got to come home a little bit. And when he was gone, I missed him. I would have memories of our time together and I would wanna see him, I wanna catch up, I wanna laugh together, enjoy good food together and just be friends, I missed him. So when he was home, I would go pick him up at the airport and we'd greet each other with these big hugs. We would laugh together. We would go spend time together. And it was so obvious to anybody that saw us, they knew that we were friends. I'm sure you have a friendship like this. Maybe they don't live in Minot, but I'm sure you have a friend that you miss. Like maybe as you're finishing up the school year, you're thinking, there's some people I might not see for the next few months and I'm gonna miss them. But when we get back together in the new school year, I'll probably hug them or high-five them or something. You have a friend that you miss that you want to spend time with. And then when you are together, people can tell that you care about each other. I'd like to use this idea of friendship to talk about the last two words in our sentence for the morning. So let's start with spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, let's think about it with my friend Hayden. When he's deployed, I miss him, right? When he's in town, I'm happy to see him. Somewhere inside of me, there's an internal, unseen reaction. I can't hold it in front of me, like I can't take a memory of us spending time together and examine it and look at it in a physical or tangible sense, but I know it's real and I know it's there. So the word spirit throughout the Bible is used in a lot of different ways. This morning, we're just going to think about it with one simple idea, the unseen, the unseen. So if you were to approach me while I was sleeping, there would be parts of me that were not active, right? I wouldn't be actively thinking about my friend Hayden, or I wouldn't be actively trying to relive some old memory or having an emotion. But So even though you're seeing the physical me, there's an unseen part of me that is inactive. 
So to worship in spirit is to react in the unseen. So we're going to think about spirit as the unseen. We're talking about the parts of ourselves that are not immediately visible. To worship God in spirit is to react in the unseen. Now, if you're a Christian, you have been given the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 from our passage in John tells us that God is spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God living inside of us. It's what guides us. It's what convicts us. Later in John's gospel in chapter 17, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as our helper. So literally speaking, our spirit as a Christian is guided by the Spirit. And just as God moves and works in us, in the unseen, we are called to react with our unseen. To worship God in spirit is to react in the unseen. Let's move on to truth. So what does it mean to worship in truth? Well, we'll go back to my friend Hayden. When he's deployed, I text him. I'll message him on Instagram or something, or if we can work it out with the different time zones, I'll call him and we'll catch up. When he's in town, greet him at the airport with a big hug. You can see us spending time together and laughing. There's something on the outside, the external, the scene, that shows you that we're friends. It can be looked at, it can be interacted with, it's tangible. So just like spirit, truth is another word that's used a lot of ways in the scripture. And to follow the same train of thought from earlier, we're going to think about truth with this simple word, the scene, the scene. Let's go back to sleeping. If you were to approach me while I was sleeping, you would see me. I would be there. You could reach out and touch me. You could definitely hear me snoring. Just ask Brentley. It's really loud. The physical me would be there. Just like we talked about earlier, there would be unseen aspects of me that would be inactive, but I would be there. God is. He refers to himself as the I am throughout the Old Testament. He is. He exists. He's real. This isn't dependent on our feelings or our circumstances. He has and he always will be God. This is truth. Just as God can be in the unseen, the non-physical, the spirit, he is also in the seen, the physical, the truth. This is Jesus. Jesus is the physical, seen, tangible God. God himself, the word at the beginning of everything, who put on flesh like we just sang about. And just as God moved and worked outside of us in the scene, we are called to react with our scene. To worship God in truth is to react in the scene. To worship God in truth is to react in the scene. So let's go back to our question. How do we worship God? God. We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. We worship God by reacting to him in the unseen and the seen. So as Christians are led by the Holy Spirit, our helper, our guide, and as we think on who the person Jesus is, our Savior, the payment of our sins, the person who gave his life for us, worship pours out of us in ways that can be seen and in ways that can't be seen. Look back at the woman at the well in John chapter 4. To summarize the story, Jesus is talking to her about her past. She's made a lot of mistakes and she carries a lot of shame. 
And as Jesus speaks to this woman, he reveals that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She believes him and becomes overjoyed. And she then becomes the first missionary. She casts aside her shame and she goes to tell others about him. Her reaction of worship is one of conviction, joy, and mission, seen and unseen. So as we wrap up today, I'd like to give you a few words. There are some examples of worship in the Bible. They'll be on the screen. Love, forgiveness, bowing, patience, kindness, singing, community, reading, justice, missions, prayer, meditating, joy, lifting hands, kneeling, and peace. There are a lot more. There are a lot more. And I encourage you to try some of these. If you feel like your relationship with God could be better, assess your lifestyle of worship. If all you're doing is singing, you're missing out. Singing is beautiful and it's great and it's the most commanded thing to do in all of scripture. But singing isn't everything. True worship is spirit and truth, unseen and seen. So as an act of worship, Try to be grateful for the ways that God has blessed you with a family, with friends, with a home. As an act of worship, forgive someone who hurt you. Express your forgiveness to them and then go try and restore that relationship. As an act of worship, be burdened by the way someone that you know has been hurt and go out and seek justice for them. If you're singing a song about God's faithfulness externally, internally, remember a time when God has been faithful in your life. If you're remembering how your sin has been paid for and rejoicing in the resurrection of Jesus internally, externally, jump, shout for joy, lift your hands and triumph. In your life of worship, let your unseen fuel the scene. In your life of worship, let your unseen fuel the scene. So, how do we worship God? We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. Let's say that one more time together. How do we worship God? We worship God by responding in spirit and truth. So I'm going to pray for us here in just a second, but don't rush out the door. What we're going to do is break off into some groups around the room. So I encourage you, after I'm done praying, find three or four friends around you, get in a small group, and I'm going to lead us through a few discussion questions. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We're so humbled and so grateful for the gift of your life in our place. And we ask that through your spirit, we would live lives of worship, lives of response, both in our unseen and in our seen. Would you convict us and would you guide us by your spirit? Would you continue to bless our time together in community this morning? We ask these things in your name. Amen.